market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, and I'm joined with the Founder and Managing Director of Strawman, Andrew Page. G'day, buddy. How are you? I'm very good, Scott. Uh, how are you? I'm, I'm excellent, thank you very much. This wonderful Sunday that's actually Thursday. Um, mate, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> what's Strawman again? It's a private investment club. It's actually a little bit more private than, than it was <laughs> a week or so <laughs> no. ago. So Exclusive. I like it, mate. Velvet yeah. Rope. Yeah, we put up uh, the velvet rope, and uh, so it's been it's been great. Actually, we've got um, well done, well done. Got our got our first uh, monthly meeting uh, coming up this week. We've got a few CEOs coming along, so yeah, just I so hope. so psyched to get stuck into it, and uh, as I say, find find a few opportunities hopefully out there on the market. Well done, mate. Congratulations. Um, we are going to do our regular mailbag. For those who don't know, uh, Andrew is here because, frankly, he's a good bloke, but also he's a mate and a former fool. Uh, he was the original co-host of Motley Fool Money and is back. So uh, The we're original and, back. The, and the best, as they say. Exactly, mate. That's right. The uh, the OG, <laughs> the they call OG. them. They say, the cool kids. The original great or something. Is that what it stands for? I don't know. Apparently. I think, apparently, apparently I'm apparently, way too apparently. old. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Mate, yeah, too, yeah. I, I increasingly am using references in, at work that fewer and fewer people understand these days. References from my childhood. We spoke about the uh, the, the, the so they may go away stuff and the October dip. And I did some I did some thinking after our podcast, mate. 1997, 97 crash, you know, that was like yesterday. Yeah. It's actually 34 years ago. Holy. <laughs> That's scary. Don't spend too long thinking about that. No. Anyway, it's a it's a scary, scary thought. And yet, well, that's the other thing, right? The market's all freaking out about something that happened 34 years ago. So both yeah. both a very long time ago and also a reason not to listen to the market. Let's get on with the mailbag, mate, because we've got a heap of questions we got. Um, oh. <laughs> at the moment, we've got more than we can answer, so I'm going to cut down the uh, banter and get straight to the questions. Which one's from Pricey? Pricey says, G'day, fools. Scott. And then he says, Rampage, in all capital letters. So I'm going to go with that. Andrew Ram Page, of course. Uh, he says, I'm a long-time listener of the podcast, investor and member of Motley Fool Discovery. He says, the latest one, my brother has 2017, bugger him. Yeah, that's going pretty well, that one. The 2017 Discovery had Afterpay recommended in it, mate. So, uh, oh, well done. It's, uh, it's, it's done nicely, yeah. yeah. He says, I'd like to ask a question for the po- mailbag. We are. My situation is, I'm a 31-year-old junior medical doctor Married, finally finished my 10 years of study a couple of years ago. Man, that's brutal, hey? And have been investing since I was 25. We had our first baby 11 weeks ago. Congratulations, Brycey and Mrs. Brycey. That's awesome. Uh, And the dust has now relatively settled. Oh, mate. It, no. No. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's awesome, it's wonderful, but trust me, it's not like you can wait 12 weeks and then it's all okay. Uh, this brings me to my question. Throughout my long, sleepless koala baby nights, I have been thinking long and hard about her future. Man, it does change your reference, doesn't it? Yeah. And her enviable position of maybe 90 to 100 years of compounding. It's hard to even imagine. I've added some stats at the end, so there you go, stay tuned. Firstly, what general advice do you have for investing for kids? I've researched a lot of different tax rules for minors. It is a minefield. And there's probably a whole new podcast. And I'm working my way to teach my 11-week-old the foolish rules of investing. Nice. But I think I should make a few decisions until she's at least old enough to count. That's Mm. probably a good idea. After that, I don't know I'd have my five-year-old choosing stocks, but you never know. Mm -hmm. My second question is, if you had any thoughts on the Spaceship Universe portfolio, a dad's group recommendation I started looking into. Essentially, a managed fund for international diversification, likened to a Vanguard International ETF. From what I can see, the performance in the past years has been uh, better off. Their fees are 0.1% and they send you out all the franken credit tax extras to make life easy. Uh, Vanguard fees are 0.18, but a much larger fund, of course. Would love to hear your thoughts. 
And then he finishes off with, now the stats I promised. Unbelievable. $10,000 to start, $50 a fortnight for 90 years at 8% in an ETF. My daughter as a granny would have a cool $35 million. Make it 100 bucks a week and it's $57 million. My wife asked if I could make it 60 years instead of 90 so she can spend it. Well, the results are three and five million in the above scenarios. Wow. As always, full on. That's from Brycey. Uh, cool question, cool thoughts, cool stats. We've done investing for miners a few times, mate. Um, I'll just take a quick... Uh, kick off on this one. Mm. Uh, basically, there's no easy way to do it. Um, we are all victims of rules having to be made for the lowest common denominator. And because people decided to screw with the tax system by pretending their kids were earning money when they really weren't, if if you know if it's possible, you could throw 100 grand into the kid's name and income and pretend your income was lower and everyone would pay less tax. It doesn't work. And so because people rorted the system, they've had to bring in rules and that's a, there's a really punitive tax rate after you earn about 400 bucks worth of unearned income. So uh, don't invest in the child's name. You can invest in your name or the name of your partner if their tax rate's likely to be lower than yours. Or, uh, so that's outright, or you can set up a, a, an effective, it's not a trust as such, but you can make yourself the nominated account holder and you can mark the account as trustee for, and then your child's name. Uh, speak to an accountant for details on that one, but that's the way most people do it. Uh, that's the way I've done it in the past. Just, you know, it was my wife's name as trustee for, and then the, the kids. So that's the simplest way to do it. There is no easy option. There's no simple option. Insurance bonds are another issue we've talked about before. That can be of some use for some people in some circumstances. I've not done it. Um, some people swear by it. Some people don't. Uh, so investment bonds, the other thing you can research, Brycey, to, um, to try and get a handle on that. For me, I'm just happy to put it in either as trustee for or, you know what, end of the day, potentially if you've got a, you know, a lower in earning income, uh, which whichever one of you is earning the lowest income, to put it in your own name and, and uh, you know, cop the capital gains tax at 18 or whatever age, transfer the, the money and keep going. At least then you've got a lower tax base to start from or an untaxed base to start from at some future point. But you do have to cough up for the for the capital gains tax. That, have you got any other thoughts on structures, mate? Uh, not really. It's, e- it's each to their own. Um, we went down the path of setting up a, a family trust because it's oh, just that's got... True. Yeah, it's got... It's, yeah. It, I mean, it's extra burden because it's yeah. extra tax uh, uh, yeah. accounting that you need to take care of and the rest. But um, can, I, can I delve now with a personal question, mate, which mm. you're welcome not to answer? This is, that, that's obviously as a family rather than for the kids specifically. Yeah, yeah. Um, in this case, Bryce is looking just to set up something for his daughter. Do you have a, a, a mental model of how you might – are you planning to cover some of that for the kids or is it actually for you and your wife and then you'll invest with the kids separately? Well, when uh, they're yeah, – too personal, we, but what's the – Yeah, so when, the when they're old enough, we can just start distributing to them when, yep. um, when they're able to. So are, you it's kind mentally, of, are you going to mentally like put a portion aside? Like in terms of investing for their future, are they going to get some lump sum at some future point? Or it's a great question, and I think I think I, I so my eldest is uh, eleven, so I, I went through the same thought process as Bryce yeah. when he was first born, and yeah. and I just you know at the end of the day I thought well it's kind of all for him and his sister anyway. Yeah, right. So it's kind of like we have it all in this structure. I'll just yeah, try and yeah. do whatever I can to to maximize yeah. the, the returns out of that. Whether I sort of uh, this this it's it's notionally in their name or what it's it's kind yeah. of all yeah. for them anyway. And, and yeah. when they're old enough, they'll actually get a distribution. So so I think okay. it doesn't make much difference to me. Where I think yeah. it's really valuable is the psychological value of it. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, the story of the true. you know the old uncle giving giving the kid like a thousand dollars worth of BHP shares when yeah. he was yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I yeah. think that's where the the real value is to know that yeah. the, so that the kid can think, oh, I've got these things called shares. What are they? Mm-hmm. Our uncle Bob gave them to me at some stage yeah, or uh, yeah. Auntie May or whatever it was. And um, so I think I think that sort of 
sparks that interest and gets them mm, on the journey. Mm, so there's, there's definite mm. value in that. So I actually just say to my kids, because they're not going to understand anyway, I just basically say, well, you've got some shares in your name. Yeah, um, nice, okay. So don't tell them that technically they don't. Um, but <laughs> If you listen to this, kids just turn it off now. There's no chance they're daddy, listening. Daddy's, daddy's <laughs> take, lying. Daddy's take lying. my word for it. They are not listening. <laughs> um, uh, the other thing I, I would say is as well, they're sort of like, <laughs> and Bryce has nominated some really great sort of structures there, ETS. It's like just the no-brainer, lowest the easiest sort of approach to do. But I do think there's a lot of value in buying shares in uh, companies that are a bit of a household name. So there might be some awesome company yeah, that does enterprise yeah. software, you know, but but no one, no, mm. the kid will never hear of in their life and most mm. adults that wouldn't have ever heard of. It's sort of yeah. like it's hard to feel excited about that. But if you yeah, own shares yeah. in, I don't know, Afterpay or That's if you right. own shares in the Athletes Ford or you own shares yeah. in Woolworths, something that they walk past on well, <laughs> when we're not in lockdown, something that they would walk past, you know, <laughs> on a right. weekly basis. That, that I think that stimulates, there is, mm-hmm. I say to my wife all the time, too, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, we own some shares mm-hmm. in this. Oh, we, you, know, you feel, you, you walk through, with your head held a little bit, you know, oh, this is this is mine. Yeah, I, own, I own a bit of this, and I think yep. that that yep. is a really cool gift to mm-hmm. give to a child as well. Um, it makes it more tangible rather than I've got some weird little sort of electronic <laughs> bit of paper here that's apparently mm-hmm. worth something, mm-hmm. but I don't, you know, unless I can transfer it to like Fortnite credits, I'm not interested. Um, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, so true, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's yeah, that's that's my thoughts. I think it's a great thing to do. And, and the other nice thing, mate. of course, with the, the the great thing about with kids is that they have the most ultimate. Uh, resource available, which is time, and as Bryce has shown, like you know, uh, time is the friend of compounding, and and mm-hmm. that that is that is. It, it's that Buffett's regret, right? That he he started at eight, but yes. he wished he, re- <laughs> he he wished he'd started earlier. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so one more thing too, which is interesting in Bryce's numbers, um, it, it's I think well, you you'll remember this better than I do, but I think Buffett didn't make his first um, billion until he was. Whatever it was, but then he's made ninety percent of his wealth like after. Yeah, that's fact. the that's the key. So he's, he's made something like I think he's made something like ninety nine percent of his wealth since his fiftieth birthday. Something ridiculous. Yep. Just because the just compounding in dollar in dollar terms, right? So it's yeah, sort of yeah. like yeah, it's like it feels like when you say, oh, if I only do this exercise through yeah. to sixty, it's like oh, it's only that much. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. yet, if you go another thirty years from that point, that's when like mm. the, the curve really starts to mm. steepen. Mm. Mm. But uh, yeah, start early, get them excited. Go for a name that they're going to recognise because that's yep. just going to psychologically pull them in a bit, bit more. And and yeah, and yep. try try at the same time to be to be a, a useful company. You don't you don't want you don't want to you know go into something. Don't invest in uh, Maya because <laughs> yeah, what's exactly. that? Because that doesn't probably might not exist in ten years time. <laughs> exactly, not that old dusty building in the corner. Yeah. yeah, no, look, I think that's great advice, mate. Um, in terms of what to invest in, I actually agree with you. I think honestly, I, I I'm a bit torn on this one. I reckon for the first 15 years of your kid's life, maybe even 20 years, it's actually, this will sound strange coming from an investor advisor, it's not about maximising your returns. It's about building a love and affinity for investing. Mm. And so to your point, mate, if you can invest mm. them in, and there's overseas companies too, there's Disney, I own shares in Disney for the record, and Amazon, I'll mention those as well, I own shares in them. Uh, but think about, think about what they're going to be using, right? Between the games companies, Activision, Blizzard and Disney, and, and then as you say, Woolies and um, yeah, Athletes Foot and plenty of other businesses, you know, just the ones that, they, they, they are in and around. If you can walk into Woolies, with the, do the grocery shopping with them and say, oh, we own shares in this business. They, again, it won't make sense for a little bit and then they'll realise it and accept it and then they'll start to wonder what that actually means. And so I think the lessons you teach them are going to be more valuable, believe it or not, than the cash they compound, even though 90 years of compounding beats 80 years. You know, the money you save for them is important. The money they save for themselves and 
how they think about that money, right? If you're going to give them money at 35 and they're going to blow it all by 38, mm. then I won't say it's all been for naught, but, you know, the, the, the lessons you teach them are as valuable at least, I reckon, as the money you might save, particularly in the first dozen or so years. But, yeah, look, structure, yeah. structurally, as trustee for is the way I would probably do it. You can do family trust. You can do companies. Um, you can, as you said, mate, you can, you can allocate either mentally or otherwise a proportion for them to get at some future point. Mm. When they're buying a house, or twenty-one, or twenty-nine, or when you fall off the perch, or somewhere else in that in that in that process, mm. um, just something cool. By the way, <laughs> you just had you just had a kid brought in. Congratulations! But imagine when your daughter has another son or daughter. Uh, if you want to really blow your mind, invest now for them. <laughs> just mm. just just for the simple. Imagine one hundred and fifty years, right? What that's worth. I know we're getting we're getting silly a little bit, but not too silly. If you think about that and kind of you know the 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 impact you can have over over multiple generations, it starts to get a bit scary in a good way. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. let's let's move on. Um, in terms of Spaceship Universe versus the Vanguard ETF, mate, do you have a view? Uh, no, I don't really. No, I, cool. I I know that Vanguard probably has lower fees. Um, other than that, so I don't in this know case, enough about it. In this case, Spaceship does, so they have a, a lower fee. Um, oh yeah, right. Room. Of course, yeah, yeah. The so here's the thing, Brycey. Um, I have nothing against Spaceship at all. Um, uh, I, I will say a couple of things. Firstly. Over time, I'm, I'm assuming Spaceship are eating a lot of money, providing that low fee, given that Vanguard can't do it more cheaply than, than Spaceship. Um, there might be reasons for that, by the way, but there may not be. Uh, I, would, I would assume over time, for, for 0.08 of a percent, I wouldn't choose one or the other. I'd go for the, the business I felt best about and the investment strategy I felt best about. And in that, in that vein, Spaceship is an actively managed portfolio. So while it's kind of being sold as an app, and it is, and, it's, and I'm, again, I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, it's an actively managed portfolio. They're picking stocks, which is great. And that's what I do. And that's what Andrew does. So I'm not saying it's bad. Vanguard is a pure ETF. And so you're going to get the market result no matter what. And I, I you know, if Spaceship are good at their job, you'll beat the index and that's worth it. If Spaceship are bad at their job, you'll lose to the index and you'll wish you had not tried to save the few percentage points. If you want a hands-off strategy, which is kind of what it sounds like you're suggesting, I would go for an ETF every single day of the week, including, by the way, instead of our picks. If you don't want to pick stocks, don't buy a Motley Fool subscription because we pick stocks. You know, go, go, go buy an ETF and go fishing. Go and cuddle your daughter. Do whatever you want to do with your life. If you just want to have something that just slowly, steadily compounds, I would probably not go with an active portfolio unless you had a really strong belief that the manager was going to continue to outperform and a, and a reason for believing that. And again, Spaceship may well. I'm not bagging Spaceship at all. If you wanted me to go with some sort of active stock picker um, for generations or for, or for you know decades or for even a couple of decades, I would probably say, well, I'll go to ETF first. Then I'd probably say, well, okay, and this is my own bias, uh, both in terms of what I own but also what I choose. I would, I would go throw some money in Sol Pats and Berkshire Hathaway. Quite, quite, like quite literally, if you wanted to you know, find, find someone whose strategy you knew, whose style you understood, whose track record you could evaluate, um, I'd be going for those. But if I go for some multiple decades and hope they got it right, I probably wouldn't be super keen on on taking super long-term bets on individual fund managers because if Spaceship is great for 20 years, then wonderful. If it underperforms 20 years, then you would have been better with an ETF. And given you want to be hands-off, I think that's where I'd start. Mm. Any other thoughts on that, mate? No, I agree. Here's one from Dan. Thank you, Scott and Ram, for the ongoing wisdom you both share each and every week. Keep it up. I think you're talking about me, mate, not, not you. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Question for the pod. Me and my partner, he says, we're about to have our first child. That's why I wanted to throw this one as well because it's similar to the one we had last time, but with some ideas. So we have set up a Comsec account to start investing once he or she is born. That's super prepared, Dan. Well done. The strategy is low-cost ETFs that we will be dollar-cost averaging into and won't be withdrawn for at least 25 years to allow for the goodness of Mr. Compound. 
I like that. He probably should be called Mr. Or maybe Mrs., but certainly deserves some respect. We have a small list of ETFs so far that include the ASX 300, the NASDAQ, and Australian Ethical. I know you can't give personal advice, but if you two had the opportunity to have a 25-year runway for growth and untouched compounding, which ETFs would you add to the list? And that's why I like this question. It's about kids, but it's also a bit of a um, stock picking slash strategy question. Thanks mm. and keep up the amazing work. Cheers, Dan. So there you go, mate. You've got 25 years. You've got to build a portfolio out of ETFs for a kid. What are you going with? I actually think that's an excellent list. Um, oh, and, yeah. no, you wouldn't add anything. Uh, so I, I personally have, uh, I think all three of them actually. Oh, there you um, go. Do you have Australian Ethical as an ETF or as a company owned? Uh, uh, as as uh, I, as an ETF. So oh, I, there you go. My super is through Australian Super, and so it's nice. kind of you. I've done that because through there, it allows me to buy shares directly without having yeah. to set up an SMS. Yeah. F, right, isn't it? And it's a bit cheaper and that, but yep. it does have some restrictions and you do have to allocate a certain proportion to to um, right, you those do. kinds of things. So anyway, I, won't, I won't bore you with the detail, but that's the reason why. <laughs> and as yep. I've, I've said before too, I, I really want exposure to to the biggest and best market in the world, which is the US mm-hmm. and, and a bit of a hat tip to uh, mm-hmm. to uh, Anaban Doc Mahanti, who was always very big mm-hmm. on, on that. And but But my mental space is so taken up with Aussie ASX yeah, stocks totally. that I just yep. I just don't have the bandwidth to, to yep. focus on another. That's just me. It's me personally. But yep. so I get my exposure through through an, uh, the Nasdaq ETF and I, I love all I want I, so I want to own Google, I want to own Apple, I want to own yeah. Yeah, all of those things. And it's just it's just an easy way to do it. Um, so okay. actually the only thing I, you might want to consider would maybe be one of those MSCI world index if you just wanted to cast mm-hmm. a wider net. I know some yep. people would probably say but that there, there are some people who love the thematic kind of stuff and like things like mm-hmm. Hack H A C K, which is the cybersecurity. You, you might have a view that that's a that's a sector that's likely to grow significantly. There's other ones that are associated with, you know, AI and all all these. So there's and I wouldn't I wouldn't be totally against them, but I just think if if you are taking the passive approach and you are taking the ETF approach, yep. keep it simple, you know, and yep. and and that's what Dan's done. Aussie market exposure, Nasdaq market exposure, and one with a bit of mm-hmm. an ethical bent because that that no doubt resonates for him. I, I think that's it. You don't don't add you, you're, you, ETFs. You are by definition so incredibly diversified that you, yeah. there's not much. If diversity is is your angle here, well that box is already ticked. Um, yeah. So yeah, so what I'm rambling at this point, but unless you've got a very sp- particular bias towards a given sector, I think I think you actually covered pretty well. I know. What do you think? So I okay. So let me go with this. Um, I yeah. I think you want a if your strategy is to be passive, then be passive. So you said you wouldn't have a big issue with hack or one of those. I absolutely would have a big issue with it um, <laughs> because you're trying to pick winners. And if you're doing it over 25 years, I defy 99 percent of people who own the hack ETF to tell me what its value is, why it's cheap enough to buy, what the component parts are. Most people go, oh, cybersecurity. That's cool. It probably will grow. Let's buy that. Mm. And I don't. You know. Again, I will say again. I'll use exactly the same one that I use every time, which is if you told me 50 years ago travel would grow 10,000-fold, you could have bought a travel and airlines ETF and gone, doesn't matter which airline wins, I know travel travel's in a boom, I'm going to make a fortune. That's and, of true. course, they've all lost yeah. a squillion dollars, right? So I, yeah. I get it, I get it, I get it. Um, I'm massively – I'm not saying – I'm not even against it as a stock picker, by the way, but as a mm. passive investment, I think that's a terrible idea. Um, mm. So I'll just put it out there. Uh, yep. So I would absolutely – so I own um, a – the NASDAQ ETF, I own the Vanguard World ETF, so uh, put those two on the radar. I also have an investment in the S&P 500 ETF. 
um, in slightly different for, for weird reasons. I might go into one day, but it's not that big a deal. It's no, there's no strategic kind of decision. It was basically a, a brokerage thing. Um, I'll talk about that another time. Um, if I was going to build a passive... So here's what I'd done for my sister who asked for help investing for her kids. Uh, I had a decent amount of money, but not so much that we wanted to spread it too thinly. So I invested her in two different assets. The first was the NASDAQ ETF. The second was actually SOPATS rather than ASX 300. And the reason I, I love ETFs and I love index ETFs and I hate kind of putting a, a cloud over this one, the ASX 300 is half banks and miners. Yeah. And I just don't want to have a 25-year exposure to banks and miners. Not because they're going to go broke, because I don't think they're going to grow very well. And so, yes, I want to be passive and yes, I want to be diversified. I, don't want, I just don't want an Australian ETF. So what, I, what we did was we said, okay, well, what else do you do? So, well, I could have chosen the ASX small ordinaries. And if I had my time again, I may have chosen the small ordinaries, which is basically the all lords excluding the big guys and it would have taken out the banks and miners. So maybe I could have done that. That's kind of stock picking a little bit because I'm choosing what to exclude, mm. but it's in a very different way. So I might have done that, but I actually just went for Sol Pats and NASDAQ and, and left it at that. Um, so yeah, but to your point, mate, I, dear idea, again, we can't give personal advice. I would think about the Vanguard Global, which is VGS is the code, uh, the S&P 500, and or the NASDAQ. So I put those three in a bucket and come out with some combination of those. Um, I would probably have 50 to 60% of my investment in those. And I'd probably have 40% of my investment in an Australian-based broad investment uh, security of some description. I chose Solpats. I feel really good about that. I still feel really good about it, by the way. Um, but also, I own, I own the Small Ordinaries ETF and I, I, that's the other option I'd probably do. I just probably wouldn't avoid... I probably wouldn't buy the 300 because I just don't think the banks and miners being half of that ETF are going to give you a sufficiently good gain to justify their inclusion. So that's my only wrinkle on that one. Uh, I like that, mate. Let me ask you this. What, there there yeah. are ETFs on... It's just a thought bubble that popped into my head just then. But um, what do you think about the equal weight ETFs. So the all oh, odds, yeah, the yeah. all odds, right? Will actually yeah. the, the the Vanguard, uh, the VAS will buy shares in the index in the same proportion, and th- those yeah, those indices yeah, yeah, yeah. are weighted according to market cap. So it's got yeah, a much bigger yeah. exposure to Commonwealth Bank than it does to, you know, a much smaller company. The other, yeah, yeah. E- the equal weighted ETFs just basically say, well, there's 500 stocks in the all odds. We're buying an equal amount of each one, regardless of their size. Mm. Does that? I, I I haven't thought this through, but does that assuage you of your concerns with? the top heaviness of, of banks and miners in the typical index? You know, it kind of instinctively does, but I don't actually know. So what worries me about this one is the rebalancing. Mm. So I don't know what impact. So you want the small business to get big. So if you buy, let, let's imagine Afterpay at $8 eight months ago. Mm-hmm. It's now 150 If that index was rebalanced every month or three months to be equal weight, you miss that entire journey up. Because yeah, they kept right. rebalancing down and down and down. So you kind of end up pulling your flowers and watering your weeds. Mm. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily bad, honestly, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's kind I of tempting either. to want to. Yeah. If, I, if, I could buy an, if I could buy an equal ETF now, but then let it be un... Then it, but, but in a way that wasn't rebalanced, I would absolutely do it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But because it gets rebalanced, effectively you're, you're dragging down the winners over and over and over again. You don't benefit from that compounding. And so I haven't looked at the performance, mate. I don't know the answer. I wish mm. I did. Um, maybe it's a great idea, but without knowing the answer, I would avoid it only because we know how well indexes have done or indices have done over time. If you start to play with the methodology and say, well, would that work? I just don't know the answer. Yeah. So I'd actually give that one a miss, but, I, but it's an intriguing idea and one that's worth more work for sure. I haven't thought about it either, but I just thought, I thought it popped into my head. I wondered if that, that helps yep, square no, that's that great. circle. It's yeah. really, really great. Mate. I like a really good question. 
All right, uh, let's move on to a question from Will. Good afternoon, Scott and Ram. Thank you for answering my previous questions. I hope you can do the same with this one in your mailbag. It's another index question, mate, which I like. As boring as it is, <laughs> I'd like to talk about indexing. While I think setting up an automatic transfer into an index fund continually over years is a great investment strategy, I feel like the fundamentals can be built upon by someone even with the smallest financial literacy. Here we go. It's probably been said before and it's actually probably a common investment strategy. However, here is my proposal. So this is not exactly about ETFs. It's about the way you might invest in them, Ram. So okay. pay attention. Here we go. I'm investing in the Vanguard Australian ASX 300 ETF. Each month, I set aside 500 bucks as an automatic transfer. Assume I have the capacity to do so. Assuming, sorry, I'll have the capacity to do so. I will continue to do this over 30 years. However, every time the market drops 10%, I invest a lump sum to take advantage of a lower price while continuously throwing my 500 bucks in each month. Say the market drops another 10%, I throw in another lump sum and so on and so forth. Assuming companies continue to make money and the market increases over the years, by following this approach, would it not outperform the general return of the index? If you actually this is a strategy as opposed to buying the dip, I could see this working quite well. I know Andrew is big on not turning passive income investments into more of an active strategy. However, I feel the strategy is still somewhat passive, requiring only really checking the index every month or so. A penny for your thoughts? Cheers and thanks again, Will. Has Will cracked the code, mate, or is there a flaw in the logic? Um, no, I don't think I can fault. So the, you've got to assume that you've got that extra capacity every time that, that happens. Yes, um, yes. Uh, but assuming you do, um, I'm, I'm worried that you're going to point out a massive flaw that I'm missing right now, but I don't think it's... <laughs> I'm going to try. <laughs> well, I just, I just think what, what, at the end of the day, even if the timing turns to be off or whatever, you're still throwing more and more in for something that you yeah. intend to hold for a very long time. So I don't think it's something yeah. you're ever going to, to, to greatly regret. Um, whether or not 10% is enough to... Because the market can move around quite a lot, um, you know... Yeah. I don't know, but I don't. I don't hate it, mate. I honestly don't hate it. What What are your thoughts? So, I'm going to suggest, and this is going to take a bit of thinking. And I might even be wrong, but I've had a quick think about it. And I think I'm right. So we'll see. We'll see how we go. If you think about the percentages, he's probably dead right. By definition, if you buy the index when the index is high, and then buy more of it when it's lower. Percentage-wise, you should do better than the average index. That kind of makes just instinctive sense, right? Mm. And so you could get a an 11% return instead of a 10% return. Let's assume those are right. Mm-hmm. And you go, cool, see, proven. I'm, I'm, I'm exactly right. And he is, except <laughs> in dollar terms, you may end up making 11% on a lower amount of money rather than 10% on a higher amount of money. And let's, this is how it might work out. Let's say you spend, I'm going I'm to exaggerate the example and we can bring back to specifics. Let's say you have $1,000 lump sum today and the market doesn't drop 10% for another three years. You sit on that cash and sit on that cash and sit on that cash. In three years' time, it falls 15% and you go, great, and you put your 1000 bucks in. You're going to beat the index in percentage terms. Absolutely. Well, almost certainly absolutely. I'd have to do the maths, but I think that's pretty right. Now let's imagine, instead of that, you put your $1,000 in today. And over the next three years, the market goes up 50% and then drops 15%. Well, your $1,000 is now worth something closer to 1200 bucks at that point after the drop rather than holding it in cash and investing the $1,000 when it gets to that point. Does that make sense? So you go from 1000 up to 1500 then you have a 15% drop, which is probably 200 bucks just to round it up. So you've got 1300 bucks in three years' time. Or you've got $1,000 in three years' time to invest. 
because you've held the lump sum out. Mm. So even though you're making a greater percentage return, the money you've made, that 10% or 12% you've made over the next three years actually ends up with you having more cash overall. And that's the flaw in the plan is the market goes up while you're sitting in your lump sum. And so let's do math simply. If I wait for a 10% drop and the market goes up 30% in the meantime, then when, by the time I get my 10% drop, I'm still buying it 20% more than I could have paid today. And that's the difference in the cash. I hear what you're saying, but what I like mm-hmm. about what Will's proposing here is that he's just he's just month in, month out, putting money aside each time. Yes. So he's kind of putting in, he's, he's committed to putting in a certain amount. So he's, it's, it's just more about saying, if I do get the opportunity and if I do yep. have cash, then I, then I will buy more. So I, I, would, I guess I would make that point. So if he was just saying, oh, I'm just going to wait till the market dips 10% and then I'm going to do it, I, I would agree with you 100%. But that's kind of exactly what he's saying, right? Because if he's got the lump sum, then that money, unless he's getting paid in lump sums with some contracting job he's doing, he's got a really irregular income. He's in theory saving money up for that lump sum over that period of time, which he could be investing every month at six hundred or seven hundred bucks a month, mm. instead of having a thousand dollars worth of lump sum cash every twelve months. Well, the other that's yeah. Well, it depends on the personal situation, doesn't it? And how how much Correct. how much you are uh, 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 choosing deliberately to leave on the sideline in in that event. So I, yeah, that's yes, a very yes, valid yes, point. Yes, yes. Of course, yes. just and just to play devil's advocate, um, mm. what you, while that is true, what you said there is a there is another scenario where mm. actually mm. the market doesn't go up that much mm, and in mm. fact it actually falls from here or goes sideways from here in which case under that mm. scenario it will turn out to be the better one so mm. I, I would say I would say this I would say you're already doing the right thing just just by committing to do it on a regular basis you are never going to look back over the long term and regret it if yeah. if it ha- yes, so yes. happens that you that you do see a bit of a correction on the market and you do have a little bit of money that you can scrape together and you choose to, to use that to, to buy more than you otherwise or are already doing I don't yep, think yep. I don't think it's a terrible I don't think it's a terrible strategy yep. to your point yep. though if you're leaving this big lump sum on the side waiting for that opportunity yes, it may or may not work out in your favor and, and only time will tell yeah I yeah I I think you'll find the maths are that the market goes up more than it goes down and yep. goes up for longer than it goes down. Sure, and I sure. think mathematically any money you hold back and don't invest is almost certainly going to be a negative return relative to if you just invest that money as you went. Mm. Um, I, I don't I don't know that it could be actually if, if it's a case of, you know, hey, I've got some money and the market happens to yeah, I invest it extra now rather than waiting and putting in lump sum over that future period of time, I completely agree with yeah, you. Yeah. But if you're if the if the case is, well, like I'm putting five hundred bucks in a month. I'm kind of saving six fifty, so I'm kind of having 100, 150 bucks going into this lump sum account that I'm waiting for an opportunity for. Mm. Mathematically, you're almost well. I, I can't forecast the future. Historically, had you done that strategy, had you had the cash and not invested it and waited for a dip, would have cost you your returns. Even percentage-wise, it was higher. Mm. The percentage would have been calculated off a lower base because the money wasn't in the market. Here's what you actually should do: is you should actually add that money mentally to the to your portfolio call it a 0% return and then track that over time. Mm. And what you'll find is the 150, you'll say, you say, say you say an extra 150 a month, zero return, zero return, zero return, zero return, zero return, eventually something versus 10%, 10%, 10% a month and then whatever that turns into. So mm. I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, each their own. I would, again, like the other thing is, by the way, this is all psychological, right? If it makes you feel better and cap- happier and more comfortable with your strategy, then go for it, right? I'm not going to tell you not to do it. But if you're asking me mathematically what's more likely, it's mathematically more likely that the longer you take to invest your cash, even if you wait for a dip, the chances are you'll end up with less money than if you had just simply invested it anyway. 
value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Question from CJ, mate. This is one I don't know a whole lot about. I think I have an answer at least, but let's go with it because you may know. CJ says, hi, guys. I've got a question. A couple of my holdings, and he's got the Robo ETF and the Hack ETF, speaking of ETF, Mm -hmm. um, issued dividends in June 2021. I tried to look for the information, but I couldn't figure what triggered the ETFs to issue dividends. I understand dividends can be cash income or capital gains, but I'm hoping you can help me with trying to locate the information regarding this on the internet. Thank you for your help in advance. Regards, CJ. Now, I'll answer this one, mate, because I think I know the answer. If you want to add, feel free. Mm-hmm. Um, CJ, they, one, of the, one of the only downsides of ETFs, there's a couple, one of the only downsides of ETFs is a little bit of pake. <laughs> and so you can't always know. And I'm going to say to you right now, I don't know the answer to your question, but I know how you can find out. Probably by now, you sent us this question. Oh, I was only this week, so it might be a little bit longer. These guys will issue to unit holders, which you are if you're, you're not a shareholder, because it's not a share, it's a unit, but that aside, to unit holders, a tax statement every year. It may already be available on your uh, share registrar's homepage. It certainly will be eventually. So log into your registrar. I don't know if it's computer share or link or someone else that, that is a registrar for this one. Log into their account, go to the tax statements section. And if you've held them during the tax year, which I assume you did based on your question, um, then you can simply look it up and find out what the component parts of that distribution are. The tax statement will say this much was distributed, which was deferred capital gains, uh, in dividend income, foreign exchange gains, the whole lot. And that'll, that'll actually tell you. Um, it's super volatile, super variable. Um, I did look up the numbers, mate. Last year, they paid 50 cents a unit. This year, it was $7 a unit. Um, so it's all, almost certainly corporate activity in one form or another that's ju- that's creating the gain. Um, I don't know specifically about this ETF. You could probably call the ETF provider as well and ask them, but the tax statement is your best your best place to start. Anything else on that, mate? No, covered it. I've got nothing to add. Question from Nader then. Hi, I've got a question for the show. In the same way, you've recently discussed the model of US brokers versus our brokers that are chess sponsored and give us actual ownership of the stocks and therefore protection against the broker folding. I was wondering how you apply this logic to companies that offer micro-investing funds like Spaceship, Rays, etc. Would you see any risk in investing with these companies, apart from the regular risk of returns, etc.? Spaceship in particular seems to have very good returns. We get lots of Spaceship questions. And low fees. No doubt they build fees into their product structures, but regardless, it looks like an affordable and well-performing fund. It is obviously marketed for people that are investing small amounts, but I'm wondering what would make this not an attractive option for people that have larger amounts to invest? Is it the risk of being non-chess sponsored? I'm going to throw this one to you first, mate. <sighs> Look, it's a very... It, it, people people do worry about this and it's not an unfounded worry, but I do get the sense that people worry about it more than they should. Mm. Um, uh, it's like crossing the road. There's a risk mm. that you get hit by a truck, but none of us really lose that much sleep over it, you know? Mm. Um, I, I feel as though when you're dealing with some of these very well-capitalised large companies, you're okay. There is also something called the mm. National mm. Guarantee Fund, um, which pro- offers uh, shareholders some protection in the case of some of these corporate collapses as yep. well. Yep. Um, so I think chess is definitely the way to go. I, for me, I just I just like knowing that it is actually mine in every in every uh, totally. sense of the word. Um, it, but I don't I don't think of all the things that we have to worry as about as investors. I don't I just don't mm. think it's 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 near the top of the list. Mm. Um, one of the other this is a separate question, but uh, a separate point. Um, 
a lot of people do this is that they'll in some in some cases that are for new products you don't have much choice but they'll go oh this one's a really mm-hmm. good fund because it's up 40% in the last 12 months mm-hmm. it's like yeah but the market's up about that amount in the last 12 months uh, I think they've outperformed. It's probably about 35% for the market. It's great. I'm not trying to take anything away. It sounds like we're crapping all over spaceship. We're not. But mm-hmm. but you see this. It's well documented in the academic literature that fund flows follow exactly the last 12 months of performance for yeah, all the fund managers. Right. So <laughs> you have right. some really awesome funds yeah. out there and they just yeah. have a crappy year for whatever reason. Everyone takes yeah. their money out and they put it into last year's winner. And mm-hmm. then they wait, they wait another twelve months and they take it out of the one that hasn't performed well and they pull it on. And it's, there's just something that's like there's there's very likely to be a bit of a mean reversion with funds. So even mm-hmm. the best mm-hmm. funds are going to have ordinary years. But over mm-hmm. but what really matters is how they deliver to you over time. And you're going to have some really bad funds that in a bull they might mm-hmm. have done some really reckless, silly, speculative bets, but just paid off massively in the last twelve months. And yep. you think yep. and and then again we extrapolate forward. You go, oh, these guys get forty percent a year. It's like, well, they did. Will they? next year? I don't know. Will they continue to do so? Was there a case of a rising tide yeah. lifting all yeah. boats? And again, this isn't an attack on spaceship at all. Um, it's just it's, it's just when deciding what is a quote-unquote good fund, don't yeah. just base it yeah, on the last right. 12 months is all I'm saying. Try and get yeah. as long yeah. a track record as you can and try and have a look at their mandate and their investment philosophy and the people running. All of that kind of stuff is probably going to be more informative. So a bit of a side note to the to the question, but yeah, don't mm. don't just base it on that decision alone. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's. I, like, I think that's actually the key outtake, mate. I've got to say, Nader, Despite your very excellent question, um, anything over the past twelve months is whatever it is. Um, uh, you know, if you'd taken Afterpay's last twelve months, but when they went from forty to eight, you would have said that's been a terrible performance. <laughs> and then they went from eight to one hundred and twenty-five. If you looked at the internet stocks in ninety-eight, ninety-nine, and gone, man, internet stocks are the way to be. Look at that past twelve months performance, and they crashed. Now, if you look at Berkshire, it's had a fantastic performance for fifty years. It also can go the other way. So I'm not saying I'm not saying be contrarian, avoid things that are doing well. I'm not saying avoid things that are doing badly. I'm just saying don't extrapolate because if extrapolation, as I think Warren Buffett said, if history was all that mattered in, in investing, the richest people in the world would be librarians. Mm. And I think that's a it's a nice little nice little quip, right? So mm. just be a little bit careful there. I, I don't I don't mind spaceship either. What I would suggest though is compare spaceship to the things they invest in. So if I was if I, was a, if I was a commodities investor and I bought a gold company and th- th- that company outperformed the ASX, but it underperformed all the other gold companies, then you've got to say, well, hang on, actually, is it, is it the, the, gold, the gold company outperformed the ASX? I'm a genius. Or, man, I got lucky because I'm in the right industry, but man, my stock picking was terrible because I picked the wrong gold, mm, gold company. Yeah. That might tell you something, right? In case of Spaceship, they are looking for NASDAQ-y, techie, growthy stocks. Mm. Now, maybe that's all you need to do. Mm. And if that's the case, by the way, you could say, for example, buy the NASDAQ. Now, I'm not saying don't buy Spaceship, as Andrew said. We're not, not ragging on Spaceship at all. It sounds like we are. It could be any, it could be any broker, right? Anyone who if – if I had the Scott Phillips uh, tech fund and all I did was buy NASDAQ stocks <laughs> and I charge you for it, you go, wow, that, that Scott Phillips fund's awesome. You rightly could have said, well, actually, but I could have just bought the NASDAQ ETF and done just as well, right? Mm-hmm. So, again, what you compare against matters. Um, I, so to your point though about chess, here's the thing. Given the choice, I would take chess every day of the week and twice on Sundays. It is free insurance. Mm. And you don't get free insurance anywhere in the world, right? You just don't get it. So if you said to me, you can have chess or non-chess, I will take chess every day. I would pay more for brokerage and I do. I could invest right now with a broker charging 5 or $10 a trade mm. and not be chess sponsored. I'm paying $19 a trade. I'm getting chess sponsorship. And that is the cheapest insurance in the entire world. I will do it every day. Because not just the purchase you're making, it's your portfolio value for the life of that portfolio while it remains chess sponsored. Mm. That being said, 
fun, every fund manager in the country is not chess sponsored. If you invest directly rather than on the ASX with a fund manager, you're that that you know you're taking the risk that they actually keep give you money back. So I don't want to. I also don't want to pretend that chess is everywhere except the US or everywhere except Spaceship or Raise. Um, it's not. If you invest in a managed fund, you are not chess sponsored. Just the same as if you invest in Raise or Spaceship, you are not chess sponsored. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Collapses are few and far between. If I was going to invest in a managed fund at all, and I didn't want to invest in stocks or ETFs. I'd happily, I, I would find the, the most reputable fund I could and invest that way, by the way. Um, and I have no reason to believe that Spaceship and Rays aren't completely reputable. But if you're asking me, you know, how do you compare a managed fund with an ETF? For a whole lot of reasons, I prefer the ETF in part. One of those things is the fact that it's chess sponsored. Mm. Um, so you're asking about Spaceship, what would make it not an attractive option? To Andrew's point, returns, uh, past returns, aren't indicative necessarily future returns. Alternative investment options, i.e. could you buy an ETF? And yes, at the end of the day, some version of chess sponsorship or otherwise should be part of the part of the consideration. I wouldn't suggest it's a massive one, but all else equal, take chess sponsorship if you can. Yep. Uh, question from Ash. Hi, Scott and Ram. Long-time listener, first-time questioner. Nice. I wanted to know your thoughts. There's a lot of ETFs today, mate. I wanted to know your thoughts on the best way to invest in an S&P 500 index fund. iShares have a thing called uh, code IVV listed on the ASX. But interestingly, they only trades in Aussie hours and doesn't replicate the indexes accurately as the US listed Vanguard, VOO, or State Street, SPY. What is the most beneficial from a tax perspective? And if I wanted the investment to replicate the index as accurately as possible, is it worth opening up an international trading account and regularly allocating US dollars instead of simply purchasing the ASX listed version via my local online broker? Thanks and full on, Ash. Can I throw you under the bus first? Maybe? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. I don't... I so. Full disclosure: I don't know. Actually, I'm not. Cool. I'm, the, I'm not. A, I'm not a tax expert. Um, I'm going to bat it back to you while I while I furiously. <laughs> All right, meditate you have a on that question. You can tell me where I'm wrong. So uh, let's go through it, Ash. Tax-wise, the tax implications for you as an Australian investor are the same no matter what you buy, um, because your tax. Assuming you're a tax resident for for sorry, so assuming you're Australian resident for tax purposes which is different from an Australian resident for citizenship purposes. But um, if, you're, if you're living in Australia, you always have your, your tax resident for Australian, pur- uh, Australian resident for tax purposes. Uh, if you're that, the tax is exactly the same because the ATO simply says, where did you earn your income from? How much earning income did you earn in Australian dollars? And you do the maths and the net result is the net result. So if I earned, um, yeah, it, 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 the tax will not matter at all. In some cases, you will have some tax withheld by the US authorities, but you claim that back on your, your Australian tax return. So it's all it's all the same in the wash. I wouldn't do one or the other for tax purposes at all. Um, now, I'm not a tax advisor, so there might be a wrinkle in subparagraph three, clause B, section three, um, where there are some differences. So while, while I say that, I'm saying that's a general piece of advice. Um, if you think your circumstances might be specific, go and check it out. In terms of the investment accurately replicating the index. So actually, firstly, go back to your, uh, it trades in Aussie hours. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Um, but you don't need to trade anything else. So that's kind of, shouldn't be an issue for you. In terms of replicating the index, here's a couple of things that change. The first is because they trade different times of the day and different days. So, you know, last night versus today, Australian time, um, the the index will move differently for two reasons. One is it includes the US futures. So when the US futures are open, the Australian listed ETF will allow for that. 
because it's trying to represent the accurate value right now. So even the US market is closed, when the Australian market is open, the US futures are open. And so the S&P 500 futures might be up half a percent. It would be silly not to reflect that because we know that's the value. If you don't reflect it, all you do is giving someone else the opportunity to play an arbitrage play and buy buy now and then sell it tonight You know, on the US market or vice versa. So it should replicate that. It also should replicate the change in the currency. So you should find that particularly in shorter periods of time, they move differently. Over longer periods of time, iShares are big and massive. Um, I see no reason why they wouldn't give you almost exactly the same return as the index. And if they are different, frankly, it's one of those things where if they're different on the upside and they're different on the downside, the longer you do it, the more likely those are going to cancel each other out. So I own units in the IVV S&P 500. I mentioned that before. Um, I... There, there is, to me, and uh, you may have a different view around, to me, in Australian dollars, after tax, over the long term, I expect my return to be effectively exactly the same for all intents and purposes as any US listed ETF. And frankly, a heap easier because I don't need a US brokerage account. I don't need to convert my prices when I buy and sell. I don't need to convert my dividend income when I get it. I'm going to get an ASX listed unit that's going to roughly track the index and over the long period of time, I think almost exactly track it. Everything's in Australian dollars and super easy in, frankly, also a chess-spotted uh, entity. That, not that I'm worried about the ETFs. Um, but yeah, I, I own I own the IVV one because there's just no good reason not to. I, I'd, I'd agree. With that. I, I was thinking that it's just, just for the sake of simplicity, right? Any difference yeah, is going to, exactly. if there is a difference, it's going to be really yep. minimal. And, and yep. for the flexibility or just the, the ease of having it locally listed, I, I would right. err that way myself. <laughs> yeah. But yep. yeah, yeah. Yeah, good question though. It's a really good question. I like, I like the I like the thinking. A question from Sam, mate. Hey, Scott. Hope you're well. I've got one for the mailbag. Awesome. Here we go. I'm in a bit of a pickle and I don't know what to do. Sam, welcome to Agony Aunt Andrew and Agony Aunt Scott. We'll try to help you out. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's not a relationship question or an interior decorating question, but uh, let's see. I'm 27 years old, he says, and I want to run a custom apparel company. That's kind of cool. From which I pull a decent income. Nice, Sam. Um... I have two investment properties, nice, and my own mortgaged apartment. I also have some shares, selections largely based off EO and SA, two Motley Fool services. If I refinanced, here we go, up to an 80% LVR, I'd free up a quarter of a million dollars to look at another investment. My dilemma is, do I do that? Do I pull it? And if I do, do I put it in shares or another property? Now, he then says, hear me out, exclamation mark. So he will, Sam. Shares. I'm thinking directly through my CMC Markets account, primarily in broad ETFs. I don't really have an amazing share market knowledge, he says, nor the time to monitor individual companies. As I'd like this to be more or less a set and forget, still regularly investing approximately three grand every two or three months. Of course, I'd still allocate a percentage of my portfolio for TMF recommendations, good man. He says, or I could buy another investment property. And while I I know the returns may not be as good, it would pass the sleep at night test a little more. My catch with property, though, is I live in Canberra. So to find an investment property, I'd probably need to look into state in markets I'm unfamiliar with and therefore would be reliant on advice. My goal is to create a $60,000 per annum passive income in in 15 years. I like that. My approach with property would be to buy and hold property, refinance and sell down until I own four to five properties debt-free. I know you can't give personal advice, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on hypothetical ways to reach my goal with someone in similar circumstances to me. Uh, I don't think that gets around the personal advice rules, Sam, but I appreciate the effort. Perhaps an alternative approach to shares may be more suitable. I'm stuck and I need help. Any thoughts would be greatly appreciated. Cheers, Sam. Mm-hmm. And thank you, he says, to you both for all your weekly insights. That's a big, complicated question, Sam. As I've said before, the more detail you give us, the 
harder is to give you general advice without it looking like quasi-personal advice. So we'll do our best, mate. Um, Ramo, we'll throw this one to you first. What do you do? Uh, see, the trouble... Oh, God, this, this is going to be hard. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, refine well, you know, drawing down the equity in all those yep. properties and ploughing it, whether it's shares or property that you plough that into, is going to mm-hmm. be uh, a really, really good str- leverage. Is going to be great if everything goes your way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, uh, every, it just makes me sound like more and more of a curmudgeonly, you know, bitter, <laughs> cynical. Which, property. to be fair, is just unveiling the real you rather than actually making you sound like you're not. Which you. is not an unfair <laughs> characterization. Um, <laughs> I just, I just feel as though it's, it's, it's the turkey analogy that I've given many times before. It's just like it's been. Go <laughs> no, on, give it again just for, just for, well, the, just the, for the fun. The, the turkey, you know, um, there's this farmer that you know puts a, a, keeps the foxes away, feeds them every day. He looks at the mm-hmm. farmer and like he's a really good guy, and you know all the other animals say, no, 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 he's really bad. He's out to get you. He's like, no, what are you talking about? Everything in my experience shows that this is, a, he's a really, really good guy. Of course. You know, it's an American analogy, a metaphor, but then Thanksgiving mm-hmm. comes along and he, he gets his head chopped off. And it's right. just a nice analogy to sort of say that you can't, uh, you, you know, the future can be very different mm-hmm. from the past. And I feel as though you it's a- You extrapolate. You can't extrapolate. And I feel as though without, without going too far down a rabbit hole that when you've <laughs> been in an environment in Australia where we've had no major pullbacks in property mm-hmm. and they've only gone up and up and up and up and up, that it's easy to think mm. that, all, and and people who so so people have done some really reckless things and been really <laughs> really well rewarded. That is, you know, yeah, it, it's, that's right. That's it's, the problem. It's the it? nurse with the five investment properties. You know, yeah, it's it's yeah, the yeah. it's the plumber with ten different investments, and it's worked out brilliantly mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. But there is a parallel universe out there <laughs> where the values didn't rise. Um, so this is the thing: is like a lot of these strategies just work really badly, not with things crashing, but just not rising mm-hmm. enough, um, yeah. or even falling a little bit. So you. you just, I would just be very careful with that, you know, boosting any equity and that you've built up and then to like mm-hmm. borrow up to 80% again. It just means that if, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying it will, but if there is any kind of wobble in that market, you could find that it just, it undoes a lot of good work that you've, that yeah. you've done to date. So that, and then, so that's, the, that's the first part of, as to what you prefer, it's a personal question. I mean, I, I think the, I, I have gone the, the share option because I just think mm-hmm. it's better. Um, the, 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 price I pay for that is a lot more volatility, but I've kind of made my peace with that over the years. Mm. Um, it's just easier too. Like I don't have to deal with um, <laughs> tenants or bloody real estate agents or anything Your like- Your favourite people real estate agents. Oh, I love real estate agents. Sorry, apologies to any real estate agent. I'm sure you're, you're the exception <laughs> to the rule. And by the way, but while, while I'm throwing stones and like tarnishing everyone, I, I would throw them very oh. much in my own pond first because you and I work in an industry which makes makes oh. other industries look like all angels. So I'm I not, hate that industry some- Oh, uh, there's some time. scumbags, you know. So okay. so I'm not, you know, there's, 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 there's plenty of um, uh, yeah. despising to go around. Um, but But- <laughs> Yeah, it's a personal choice. It's a per- I, all yep. I'm saying is be careful of be careful of the leverage. It it, yep. it can go the other way. Yep. Yeah, I think that's my biggest my biggest challenge. I think um, the idea of kind of you know I won't say risk free, but the idea of being able to kind of somehow leverage up, leverage up, leverage up, build a equity, then sell down, have four or five properties left debt free. It requires certain circumstances to be met, yep. and those may be met. They have been met in the past. Um, by the way, your, your, your turkey analogy could equally be applied to shares. People listening saying, hang on, you guys are saying, well, shares do well, not keep doing well. That could be the turkey as well. So let, let's acknowledge that elephant in the room. True, um, But I think there's, I, I personally think there's more reason for shares to go up, largely because they're a subset of 
business rather than the property market, which is by definition the property market. So when we talk about ASX, you know, corporate corporate profits on the ASX tend to off about was it ten percent a year roughly five percent something like that. anyway, yeah. um, faster than the, faster than the, the rest of the total business market. If you look at total corporate profits, they go up slower than the ASX because the ASX gets, by definition, the cream of the crop. Mm. Now, maybe if you can invest in the cream of the property market, maybe you get something similar. And again, there's always individual properties that do well. And I've, I've been on the Elephant in the Room podcast, by the way, and Chris Bates has said to me, I heard you say on the uh, on the, on the, on the, on the podcast that you know, wouldn't invest in investment property because it's not going to go up as much. But aren't there some properties like, yeah, you know what? There really are. By oh, definition, totally. Yeah, you can't there are generalize. different properties. So you yeah. can't, exactly. You never generalise. You <laughs> said generalising. Uh, oh, terrible. It's dad, dad, dad joke. joke. It's getting late. Time to, time to finish off. Um, look, yeah. So I, I actually, I, I broadly agree with you, Ram. I, I think it would be, I would be, I feel really uncomfortable with, with the amount of debt you would be required to take on to end up with four or five properties debt free. If you do the maths on that, the sheer amount of debt you would need and one or two properties that went, fell down, fell meaningfully might kind of, the problem with leverage is, as you say, it goes both ways, right? If I could put in a hundred grand in a million dollar property and it goes up to two million dollars, I make a ten time return on my money, right? My hundred grand becomes a million because mm. I put in a, I put in a hundred, I pay off the loan, I get a million dollars left over because it's double from a million to two million. It feels like the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. But if your million dollar property goes from a hundred from a million to nine hundred thousand, you've literally gone to zero. Your equity, your, your loan is still nine hundred grand. Your equity goes from a hundred thousand to zero, mm. literally zero. You've, got, you've, you've torched 100 grand. Now, maybe eventually if you hold on long enough, maybe it comes back, maybe it doesn't, but then you kind of go back to shares. Well, if I invest 100 grand in shares and I get you know, a compound return, so the question we had earlier about you know, 90 years worth of compounding, um, you know, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a very real sense that um, you just want to be really careful. I would, here's the thing. Sam, I'm not gonna, we can't give you advice, Sam. Sam, you sound like you've probably made up your mind already, I've got to say. Like, I, know, I know you're kind of asking us to, and I feel like you're almost saying, I'm going to do this unless you guys can really, really convince me not to. And we're not going to try because we can't give you personal advice. But if you've made up your mind, mate, you feel better about that, then, then you know, that's cool and we get it. Uh, I, I think, you know, if you can make your peace with the volatility Andrew mentioned, I, I, you know, I, I sleep at night beautifully with all my money in shares um, because I'm not going to pull the money out for hopefully decades and at some point I will like you live on the income from my shares hopefully either selling down a little bit or taking out the dividends either way um, I expect the price to be volatile but I expect the income to be reasonably you know much less volatile and meaningful and large enough to be worth my while so mm. if you think about if you could pull out hypothetically a quarter of a million bucks out of out of an investment property and you could double it every seven years so let me do the maths with you that's half a million then a million then two then four then eight then 16 um, you know you can see how that can compound really really nicely with zero leverage, outside leverage that the companies themselves might have. And to my mind, you know, Buffett says, you know, smart people have gone broke by um, by risking what they have and need for what they don't have and don't need. Uh, and at some point, if I knew I could, well, you can't know anything. If I believed shares were going to compound every seven or so years and double every seven or so years, and I could turn a quarter million dollars into two or four or eight million dollars just by not doing anything <laughs> um, without taking on leverage, uh, to me, it's a... For, for my personality and, and the way I've approached investing, that to me is a much better bet than taking on millions of dollars in debt, which you'd have to, I assume, to get your four to five property goal uh, and hoping that the leverage didn't come back and bite you. Because again, as we said the other day or earlier now, earlier this podcast, 
going back to square one is just a really sucky place to be. And one final thought, I would just say volatility isn't risk, risk isn't volatility. So, so yeah, it is a well, I hear it all the time, um, we don't have barbecues anymore because of COVID, but when, <laughs> yeah, right. when we used to have barbecues. There was a time, back in the day. <laughs> back in the day. Kids, let me tell you a story. <laughs> when you used to like see other people, you know, instead of just seeing them on a screen. Um, it was always, it would always sort of come up and it was just like, oh yeah, but the trouble with the show market is it's really volatile and things, you know, mm. can fall away. And it's like, that doesn't happen with property. And it's like, well... It's a, it's a function of liquidity. So I my my thought exercise I always offer is let's say that you buy it. Let's say you have an auction at your mm. property every single weekend. Mm. Now, you think about how much that price is going to move around. Just on happens to, mm. you know, who turns up that particular weekend and what the particular mood is in. By, by the same token, let's say that I become king of the world and I say, you know what, the share market is only open once every five years. So most yeah, people right. will hold their yeah, investment yeah. property for a few years, right? And so they only re- the only time you know the price is when a transaction occurs. Other than that, it's just a it's an estimate, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's worth this amount. You don't know until you test it in a market environment. Mm-hmm. So if I was to do that, and I can do that just by plotting the ASX or the All Lords or Afterpay or any particular share I want, and just the volatility disappears. It just goes up. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and so all of a right. sudden, by just deciding not to look yeah. at it every day, every yes. week, yeah, every that's month, right. I have yeah. I have magically made volatility disappear, and and, <laughs> exactly. and just by deciding to to hold yeah, an auction yeah. at my house, imagine if I held an auction every hour, every mm-hmm. minute, mm-hmm. you know, for my property, it would be the most volatile thing in the world. So you've got yeah. you've got to understand that volatility isn't risk, um, mm-hmm. uh, and and each individual. And and here's the other point as well is you've made this as well. It depends on what you're doing. There are some property investments out there. You're buying in Opal Towers, probably a really bad investment. Um, that that's the one with. Um, for those not in Sydney, it's having all these building problems. <laughs> and like, You know, anyway, that's a whole other, other thing. That, that could be a really bad investment. There's probably others out there that will give you the best returns you've ever seen and make, make some other equity market investments put to shame. So you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. But I think, I think we've well and truly covered that. You probably have. <laughs> but it's important. It's, it's a worthwhile conversation because mm-hmm. that's, that's a question plenty of people have. Let's finish off, mate, with... Um, well, it's a friend from Chris, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to assume Chris is either Chris Page or maybe uh, Andrew Page's wife's brother or something. Hi, Scott. Firstly, I feel your listeners, including myself, <laughs> would greatly benefit if you were to devote an entire episode to explaining what this elusive straw man <laughs> service actually does. I'm sure your co-host would appreciate the suggestion and a big smile. Oh, God. On another note, could it make sense for you to have guests from the Canadian and American-based Motley Fool services on your podcast from time to time? That's cool. Thanks and fool on Chris. He then says, a couple of days later, Hi, Scott, now there's a straw man premium. Should we expect Motley Fool to make an outrageously enormous takeover bid (laughs) for said enterprise? On a more serious note, do you, either you or Mr. Strawman, see any value in the European banking sector? Thanks and fool on Chris. Mate, I don't know how much you're paying these people to, uh, to, to blatantly... (laughs) <laughs> flog your, your business on this podcast. I thought I did a frankly gratuitous enough job every episode asking you about it, reminding people about it and giving them your, your social media and website. But apparently Chris slash Andrew some, thinks that I'm not giving you enough uh, enough airtime. Is that what's going on here? <laughs> Uh, appreciate the question. It's really cool. Always my favourite topic. Um, <laughs> uh, Enough about me. Let's talk about me. Well, look. The first thing I'd say is, is actually I, I won't sell it because I can't. We we've closed. We we Strawman's been running uh, since about 2018 mm. as a free sort of platform. 
And then we made a very difficult decision to sort of say, actually, we're going to sort of really focus in on our inner circle. Mm-hmm. And so Strawman is, I've always described it as a private investment club. It is. It just so happens that we've got a bit of, you know, we've got a bit of a platform that we, our clubhouse is, is the Strawman platform. But we've actually closed that off now, so you can't join anymore. Um, right. We've limit, we've capped membership for our first intake at, at six hundred, mm-hmm. and we may open that up again in the future. So for now, you, mm-hmm. you can't join, unfortunately. Um, so I'm not going to sell it. You can open up mm-hmm. a free account, which will give you the opportunity to paper trade the market. So if you want a, mm-hmm. a bit of a practice on the market, it's pretty cool. You can see some of the posts from our members. It is a month delayed at this stage, mm-hmm. but you can't see the stocks that they're they're. Um, uh, the ideas that they're putting out there, or the you know some of those other kind, that is it is a members only kind of service, mm. unfortunately. But um, yeah, go on, sign up. Um, you'll still get a bit of value out of it, and then we will open it again in the future. But yeah, we, we're just a private investment club, is what we are. And it basically works by just like it would if you and I were around a kitchen table, mate, with some of our mates who are into into investing. You know, someone rock up and say, "Oh, I was looking at this. I think it's really interesting." And you talk a bit about it, and you go off and you do your own thing. So it's 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 not about us. We're not an advisory service. We don't pretend to be. We don't want to be. We think the only person who cares about your money as most as much as you do is you. It's on you. So if you're the kind of person who wants to mm. to make that decision, you, you you've got to do it. But we hope that by connecting you with other engaged, smart investors, it'll hopefully give you a few extra perspectives and ideas and help help you help inform you a bit better and help you make a better decision. Uh, and that's that's the goal. So, um, Chris, I hope Andrew paid you a lot of money for asking that question. Andrew, I <laughs> hope you feel at least slightly shamed for having deliberately seated a question out in the mailbag so you could talk about it. Well, I can't make any money off it because we don't – membership's closed. So I, I can stand behind that as, as – uh, Saying you you can't join, <laughs> and so they call, they call it uh, build, building demand fixing. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, mate, we're, we've probably run out of time. We probably should finish off. We've got more questions in the mailbag, which is exciting. So plenty more for next week. We'll go into those. Speaking of which, though, if you do want to ask a question or just simply get in touch or follow us, uh, we really would appreciate it. We love actually chatting with you guys on the socials. Um, that's what the cool kids call them at the socials. <laughs> Um, you can you can get on the tweet machine. That's where we all. That's the only place you can find Andrew. He's exclusively on Twitter uh, for reasons that surpass my understanding, but I'm sure are very reasonable. Uh, you can. Uh, by the way, we talked last week. Was it? I think about the fact you actually can change your Twitter handle. Have you have you given that any more thought, or are you sticking solid? I'm actually going to. I'm doubling down now. It's just a matter of principle. So I'm. I'm <laughs> I'm not going to. <laughs> love it, love yeah, it. No. Doesn't, doesn't, no. You can't make him change his mm-hmm. Twitter handle away from Sage Simeon. No. So yeah, Sage underscore Simeon. Sage underscore Simeon. Sage underscore Simeon, which apparently means crazy ape or something. Was why, it? Why is monkey? So, you know, on one monkey hand it's right. flattering, on the other hand it's very deprecating. So I feel it's got it's a nice juxtapo- juxtaposed kind of thing. That's what I thought very cool. created at the time. Very, very, now I'm very sticking Twitter, with mate. It. Yeah. Very 1972 or whatever it was. Um, <laughs> I like it a lot. So Sage underscore Simeon, follow Andrew on Twitter or the Strawman corporate account, uh, now the, the, the cashed up uh, Strawman account, uh, now that Strawman Premium is live, although you can't buy it, as he says, even though Chris blatantly puts questions in the mailbag. Um, you can follow at Strawman Invest on Twitter. Uh, to follow me and The Motley Fool, Twitter and Instagram, the handles are exactly the same for both me and The Motley Fool. That is The Motley Fool AU, pretty straightforward, or TMF Scott P., in case you're wondering, TMF stands for The Motley Fool. So TMF Scott P, that's Twitter and Insta. If you're on Facebook, grab us at The Motley Fool Australia or Scott Phillips Money, just facebook.com slash The Motley Fool Australia or slash Scott Phillips Money. And if you want to email us, keep it old school or at least, you know, remember those when email wasn't old school, mate? When snail mail was old school and email was new? Yeah, that's how I old do. we are. I do. 
If you want to keep it old school and go via email, info, I-N-F-O, at fool.com.au is the way you can get in touch with us. If you've got longer questions or you simply feel more comfortable doing that, feel free. Uh, but do follow us on, on the Twitter machine. It's, it's fun. Uh, it's interesting. We get some interesting insights. Andrew posts his uh, thoughts about investing, uh, some of his appearances, as do I, on Osbys and other places. So well worth a follow, I think, if, you, if you're keen. All right, mate, that's dust done. We'll be back next Friday. Of course, if you are listening to the podcast, if you are subscribed, hopefully you're also hearing our Stock of the Week episodes. I'm going to say our, it's not Andrew and I. I do it with a Motley Fool analyst. Hopefully you're hearing that, but you will get Andrew and I back in your earbuds on your podcast feed next Friday. Make sure you subscribe. Please do give us a rating. And until then, full on. See you later. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.